Father, we give thanks once again uh, that your grace and your mercy find us together once again on an evening here uh, to listen to the glorious gospel and to once again consider your words, words that are eternal, words that are able to save, and words that mean everything to us uh, because they speak about our Savior. They promised us things that no other human being could ever promise us, and we would believe them. And so we're thankful that the promises that we read here find their yes and find their amen in none other than your beloved Son. So help us as we would look into this chapter once again tonight. We pray for all here that there would be blessing to go around because of the Word of God and how it reassures us how it gives us confidence. And we pray, Lord, too, for many here, that there would be salvation as a result of what it says about your Son and what he has done for us. So we ask for your blessing here and in other places tonight, too. Think of them in New England. And we pray, Lord, for the gospel there and even down in Pensauken. And we ask, Lord, that as the good news goes forth, that God would be pleased to reach them. So this we ask now in your son's name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So tonight we're going to read uh, the one verse in Isaiah 53, out of the 12 verses, that deals with the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they, the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ is not something often spoken of. I can't say that I hear it spoken upon in its own context, but I'm going to attempt to do that tonight because that's what our verse says. But and really the burial is just a prelude to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's hard to uh, divide the two truths, and I don't intend to do that. But we're going to read this verse tonight that is an incredible prophecy. An incredible prophecy. If sometimes you doubt, if people tell you, and you will confront people in your life who will say, the Bible, they'll say, it has errors in it, and it can't be trusted, and there's things that just don't add up in the Bible. And you might go, you know, I wonder if that's true. Well, for starters, you can come to this verse and you can see something that would have been so impossible to predict. And here it is. And it's true. The prophet says it. God has confirmed it. History has substantiated it. And we see it here. Something so clear, written 700 years before, about the burial of the Lord Jesus. And so for everyone who is a skeptic, you can turn them to this ninth verse of Isaiah 53. Start them here about how true God's word is from the beginning to the end. But especially when we read such specific truths as we'll read tonight. Isaiah 53 and verse 9 says this. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. That might be a little difficult, but I'm going to read it in maybe what would make it a little easier, and actually maybe would be the correct way. It's just this, in Isaiah 53 and 9, is that they were going to make his grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. 
That's all we're going to read. You know that God will add a blessing to the reading of his word. It's only here in verse 9. We talked about last night that term slaughter. Since the first time in the chapter that we are, we realize, and we had read this for the first time, it's the first time we notice that the man that's being spoken of here, he's not only going to suffer, he's going to die, because it uses this term slaughter. Well, here's this phrase, it only occurs here, and I think it may only occur here about the Lord Jesus in the entire Old Testament. His death. His death. Nowhere else do you, do you get words like that in all the... Ask Jimmy, 39 books of the Old Testament. His death. In the New Testament, we read about the death of his son. But here, his death, because no other death was like the death of Jesus Christ. Any other death that has ever been known has had a reason, and we're going to talk about that tonight. But this death, it didn't have the reason that every other death had, it had a different reason. Every other death, its cause and its reason, we will discuss. But this death had another reason, it had another cause. And so we're going to look at that tonight when we consider his death. When I think about burials, I was down at Arlington National Cemetery almost maybe four weeks ago, I think. And if you ever get a chance to go down there to tour the cemetery, it seems every day they have about four funerals. And you have to have served in the U.S. military to be buried there. But I remember one thing that the, 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 the chaplain said. And as they took the remains of the man that we knew and brought him in front of that tombstone, the chaplain said this, and I think, I hope I don't ever forget the words. He said this. He says, burial plots here cannot be purchased. They can only be earned. Burial plots here cannot be purchased. They can only be earned. You know, when you know how much it costs to buy a spot in this earth to put your casket, it costs quite a bit of money. But some people want to be buried in very special places. And if any place was special, it's Arlington. And yet he said, you can't buy a spot here. You have to earn it. You know, the burial place that we're going to talk about tonight for the Lord Jesus, you couldn't buy it. It was earned. And our verse says that. Our verse says the reason that he was buried in this tomb that had never had any other man in it, that was made for a rich man. Why he was buried there, our verse tells us, because of the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. But here tonight, when we read about this, I want you to remember too, when you look at all the places in the Bible, when we were driving home last night in the car with the kids, we talked about different places that we would like to go, and, and we thought about different places in the Bible. And if you had an open airline ticket tonight to any place in the world, you'd say, the, the ideas of where I could go, to the Victoria Falls, maybe I could go to the Grand Canyon, maybe I would want to go uh, somewhere to uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the southern part of South Africa to see where the oceans meet, or maybe I would go somewhere, you'd say, that no one has ever been before, if that's possible. And then if you get to go to Israel, you think all the places you'd like to go. How many people have told me, they say, I, I'd love to see Calvary. I want to see where the cross was. Some people say, no, I want to go to Bethlehem. I want to see where he was born. I want to go to Nazareth to see where he was brought up. 
I want to go to the Sea of Galilee. I took a boat across the Sea of Galilee. I want to see where the storms come up in a matter of minutes. I want to see this. You know, that's all good. But angels only ever tell us to look at one place. Angels who have seen the whole world. They've seen the whole universe. They, they've seen stars that no telescope has ever seen. Angels only ever have told people to look at one place. They never told people to look at Calvary. They never told people to look at Bethlehem. Angels in Matthew's Gospel, they say, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Come and see the place where he isn't. Because that makes all the difference. Anybody can show you places where people die, but to see a place where a man rose again from the dead makes all the difference tonight. If you're thinking, why is it worth it for me to believe this tonight, it's because that tomb doesn't have a person there. Come see the place where the Lord laid. I think of that verse uh, about the Lord Jesus. It said that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. And actually, when you read through the Gospels, the last thing that the Lord Jesus does is, actually it's the same word, he lays his head down and he gives up the ghost. And then they laid him in a tomb. We're going to talk about that tonight. When they laid him in a tomb, because that's very significant. When it comes to, I have a bunch of P's tonight, so if you hear a P word, that means I'm on to the next point, just in case you were wondering. It's not easy to do, they call it a P shooter, but I got P's tonight, so hopefully you can follow my message. I try to divide it up differently. When you think about prophecy, prophecy is so important, because if there's one prophecy that doesn't, doesn't add up, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's like a, a link, a chain, if one breaks, they all break. And this prophecy says this, they were going to bury him with the wicked people, with the criminals, but with the rich in his death. You know, when, when he was crucified at Calvary, and when you, if you ever get a chance to visit Calvary one day, where the cross was and where they buried him would be in this same lot here. And where this hall is in the yard here, you could fit both in that distance. They're that close together. They're not far apart. You could, if I stood at the tomb, I could yell to you where the cross was. And you could hear my voice. So they were close together. It was very significant that a man named Joseph already owned a tomb in the place where they were going to execute the Lord Jesus Christ. But criminals, he was tried as a criminal. Just remember that night before on that Friday, April 3rd, he had six different trials that he went through all the night. And so he was, he was tried as a criminal, falsely. Then they took him and they put him on that April 3rd morning at 9 a.m. They put him on a cross with other criminals. And as that day drew to a close, around 3 p.m. he died. The soldiers came back sometime before between 3 and 4. They pierced his side. And at some point that evening, after a man named Joseph and another man named Nicodemus, they went to a man named Pilate and they said, we are begging you for the body of Jesus Christ. And he was so surprised that he was dead already because sometimes people would be left on a cross for days. But they took this man because if they didn't come and get him, what was going to happen is they were going to take his body down, they were going to take the other thief, who at that point was already in paradise, 
And they were going to take the other thief, and we don't know where he was, heaven or hell. And they were going to take them all together, and they were going to take them to what was just the city landfill. And where all other criminals were taken, they just threw them into a grave where all criminals went who didn't have family or friends. Who didn't have anybody that could bury them or pay for a spot. If they didn't have anybody, those soldiers just took those criminals who were worthless and they would take them and they just threw them into a grave or a spot. And the Bible tells us that that's what would have happened. They would have made his grave with the wicked, with the criminals. But God had a different idea. God made it possible that where that cross was, there was going to be a man who owned a tomb, a, a cave, hewn out of rock. They would have gone in and they would have taken and chiseled out a spot in there, maybe no bigger than that room back there. And inside, there was going to be a man who would be in there one day, but he wasn't there yet. And his name was Joseph. And you know what? He never got to be there. Because he gave his tomb to this man, Jesus Christ. And so a prophecy that's so important, just a burial prophecy, it comes true here. So significant. Not only that, but think of the proof. The proof here. Ever want to say, ever say to someone, prove it. Prove it. When you go to 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us Christ died for our sins. Christ died. Prove it. He was buried. You know, some people think he didn't die. Some people think that he was about to die, but they took him down from the cross and they, they snuck him away. I once read a famous article, and it was one of those uh, Christian magazines where you could write in a question. Write in a question to the, the editor, and he would answer it. And the questioner said, I have a pastor who believes that they come and they, they took the Lord Jesus, he was still alive, and they, they brought him down, they brought him to a, a tomb that was cold, and, and he came back alive. He came back alive, he was never really dead. And this writer, this writer said, said, can you give me some help? I don't think it's true. And I remember the editor of the Christian periodical wrote back, he said, how about this, tell your pastor, why don't they let him plow his back 40 times with lashes, hang him on a cross? Let him hang there for six hours, take him down, put him in a tomb, and then see him come back. Let's see him be alive. You see, people who say that just want another reason not to believe the gospel. But here, Christ died. He was buried. You know, the gospel doesn't end there. It says he rose again. Prove it. He was seen. There's four parts to the gospel, and each one is so important that he was died. He died. He was crucified. And he was buried. So there's prophecy here. There's proof. Not only proof, but there's also a place. I talked about the place there. I remember the place well in my mind. It was all probably 12 years ago that I was there. But you know, the place when you go there, one thing you one thing you know right away is that this place is just like John tells us it is. You know, it's the Gospel of John who tells us that this place is a garden. It was a garden. When you go to Calvary, they built a bus depot on Calvary, and it's a big rock formation that comes out of the, the side of a, a hill there, and down below there's buses, kind of like the buses that we see in an A-terminal, zooming in and out of this terminal, and you have to stand there to see the front of Calvary, but behind that is a garden. 
And in that garden, John tells us, is where this tomb was. I find that tremendous because the first garden in our Bible is where what took place that has caused death. The reason people died is because of what happened in that first garden. The reason people live is because of the man who was buried in the second garden. You know, you've got to come to terms with that. You've got to say, take that in. That when Adam sinned in that first garden, he then guaranteed everyone would, at one point in their life, if the Lord didn't return, die. One out of every one person died. But that second garden where Jesus Christ was buried, so significant because that guarantees me that if a man rose from the dead there, I too know that I have a future if I trust Christ. There's only ever been, in my life, I've only ever had to hold the handle on two caskets in my whole life. Only two. One of them was a person who was one year old, and one of them was a person who was 77 years old. You know, it doesn't matter how big or how small the casket is, because any person can die. You say, why? Because of what happened in that first garden. When a man took a tree that wasn't his, you know what also is offered is anyone who ever dies, that's not it. It's not over there. People who die end up in one of two places, and they can end up in heaven because of the man who took a tree in that next garden. Calvary. He took a cross, and he died, and he was buried. So significant that this place was a garden because it reminds us of all that went wrong in the first garden went right in the second garden and yet no one would have suspected it and in that second garden that garden where there was a tomb where no one had laid it the man who was placed in there was going to come back from the dead not only the proof the place i was thinking too of pictures not a lot of pictures in the Bible. Sometimes we think of, of all the ways that the burial has been illustrated. Different pictures of it. Thought of Jonah. Jonah, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 12 said, just like Jonah was three days in the belly of a whale. Think about how low he went, and think about how hopeless he was in the belly of a whale. But yet it's just like the burial of the Lord Jesus. The time period how low it was. He says he went down to the, the bottom of the earth, down, couldn't go any lower. And here, just like the Lord Jesus, he said, this is going to be like my burial. And he told us how long it was going to last, that he would be in the ground for those three days. Not only how long, but just how terrible the situation would be. That no man who dies, no man who is buried, do we ever look upon those situations and say they are good. And neither was his. Not only Jonah, but I was thinking too, in, in John chapter 2, the Lord Jesus talked about his burial, and he said, destroy this temple. Not a, not a belly of a whale now. He talked about a building. He said, destroy this temple. If you've ever seen a building that's been destroyed, and, and everything's laying there on the ground, you can't help but look at a building that's been destroyed, and you say, it's done. It's done. 
There's nothing, there's nothing you can do here. You see the bricks torn everywhere. You see it just demolished. You're waiting for the dump trucks to come in and to take away that debris. And the Lord Jesus says, you destroy this temple. You knock it down. You demolish it. And they did that. And he said, three days later, build it again. He said about Jonah, he said, Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights, but he came out. There was hope. There was hope for this. But I think my favorite illustration the Lord Jesus told in the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, and he says, he used the seed. He said, you take a corn of wheat, you just take a seed. He says, and if, if you put it into the ground, if you put it into the ground, it's really dead. You ever have a seed at home, if you have seeds in a bag, uh, Colleen keeps some seeds in a little bag on our, our back shelf. You know, they haven't died. They're just sitting there. They're waiting to be put into the ground. And if you go home and read that verse, you know what's so, I would say, special about that verse is it, it says this. It compares the Lord Jesus to a seed and it says, if that seed never goes into the ground, then it, 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 it only ever exists alone. Alone. You know, the Lord Jesus could have gone back to heaven and he could have been there alone forever. And uh, I want to be, uh, be correct and I want to be reverent. There would have been nothing wrong with that. But the Lord Jesus says if we take that corn of wheat, if it stays out of the ground, it'll just be by itself forever. But if you take it and you put it into the ground, then from that seed comes something else. You see, because the Lord Jesus was placed into that ground and he died, that means you and I can be saved. You and I can know our sins forgiven. We know that there's a future. There's something for us. It's often been said to me, you don't take garbage and plant it because you don't get anything from it. You throw it out. You throw out what's worthless. But things that have a future, you plant. You put them into the ground. And the Lord Jesus put into that ground, that great picture, that he wasn't going to go back to heaven alone. He wanted to bring others with him. That corn of wheat that was placed into the ground, the picture. Finally, I think of the promise here. This promise that he says, and this is the last part of the verse, said he, they wanted to make his grave with criminals, with wicked people. But instead he was with a rich man in his death. And it says this, because he had done no violence, Neither was there any deceit found in his mouth. I think of what it says here, and I said, I wanted to call this the promise, because here, there was a promise 700 years before any man ever existed, named Jesus Christ. And here was the promise. If there was a man who had no sin in his heart that was going to produce something false out of his mouth. If ever there was a man who was not going to have to use violence from his hands, really that shows you sin on the outside and sin on the inside. What's on the inside of the heart comes out through the mouth, the Bible says. And really, what's on our hands and the actions that we commit, the sins that we, we do and the actions that we make and the things that come out of our heart, out of our mouth. The Bible has this promise. If ever there was a man who existed like that, then here, this, this is how you would recognize him. Because sometimes we think, how are we going to recognize who he is? If you were waiting for Jesus Christ, and you said, I want to make sure it's really him, 
Here's the promise. Wait for a man who's never sinned once in any of his actions. And wait for a man who's never sinned once in anything that he said. And that man, they will try to take him and put him with criminals in a mass grave. But instead, you'll find him in a rich man's sepulcher. You say, how many men do you know like that? You say, only one. Such a great promise to know exactly who to look for. To know who to look for. That, 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 that makes all the difference. In case there are some here, you say, I know exactly who to look for. You would say to me, hey, I know exactly the Savior to look for. I would never make a mistake, David. I, I've been through so many Sunday school lessons. I've been through all these stories in the Old Testament. I know exactly who I'm looking for. Tell me, does, does he know what you look like? Last week, I got one of those little flyers to my house. And it has a picture of someone that says, have you seen me? And I always look at those pictures because I want to know how long they've been missing. And it'll have a, a, a child's photo. And it'll say, last seen. On this one, I think it said August 15, 2017. So they've been missing for four years. And a lot of times they change the photo so that it would look like what they would look like now. Because if you see them, maybe you would see them down here in town, or you would, you would be driving across the country, you might recognize them. If you see them, you better let someone know because they've been missing. You know, a lot of times we expect the Lord Jesus to find us and to save us. You say, how would we describe ourselves? How would I give him a description of who he's supposed to be looking for? Because he's told me what he looks like. He's one who has no sin, who's done no sin. He's one that they place on a cross near criminals. And instead, they put him in a rich man's tomb. I know exactly who I'm looking for. But instead, I live my life and I say, would he find me based upon my own description? I'm thankful there was a night in my life where I gave him the best description of me. I knew that I was someone who was guilty, who was terrible. I could call myself wicked, a sinner. But I gave him the best description that I could write out so that I knew he would know who he was looking for when he was looking for David. He was looking for someone who could not save himself. He was looking for someone who had no hope, who did not deserve salvation and would never deserve salvation. He was looking for someone who needed a savior. And you want to know the most important part of my description? Maybe you think about the way you would describe yourself. Just think about it. How would I describe myself tonight so that you would find me? This was the most important part of my description. All the things I could say, I said this, we needed a Savior right now. Some people need a Savior tomorrow. Some people need a Savior when the summer is over. Some people need a Savior once they get into the 10th grade. Some people need a Savior once they get their driver's license. Some people will need a Savior once they start college. And some people need a Savior tonight. But only those people ever get saved. And so the promise is here. The promise that we are reminded of. In fact, if you go to 1 Peter 2, you hear these same words said about the Lord Jesus. Peter had this verse on his mind and he said, he did no violence. There was no guile found in his mouth. There was nothing untrue in his mouth. It says when, when he was when he was threatened when he was afflicted there, when he was threatened, he didn't, he didn't do that in return. 
When he suffered, he didn't threaten people back. He says he didn't do what people did to him. He didn't do it back. He just accepted it. See, but he committed himself to the person who judges righteously. And then it says this. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. You go home and read 1 Peter 2 and 22. You see, his mind was so focused on Isaiah 53. This verse and the verses that we read before, these promises. But thank God that this promise was true. You know, the prophet Isaiah, he said, he will be buried. He will be buried with a rich man. There were men who said, he will be buried with a rich man. In fact, Jesus Christ himself knew he was going to be buried. But we'll find out in nights to come. Thank God. You know, it's in Acts 13 and 39. It says this, when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree. They laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. You say, Dave, how in the world could burial, how could this ever be good news for me tonight? It doesn't, you've you got to go back to Calvary. You've got to go back to something else because this can't be the gospel. You know, you go home and you read Romans chapter 6. You know what it says? It says people who have been buried the same way the Lord Jesus had. People who have been buried and planted the same way he has. They're the only people who have a hope one day being with him. They don't have to serve sin anymore. They don't have to do what is sinful anymore. Instead, they can do what is righteous. They can do what he wants. But it's only been people who have been buried just like him. You say, what does that mean? It means this, knowing that I'm as good as dead today. There's nothing that I can do in order to please him. But instead, I look to the man who was crucified. His death his burial. Thank God he rose again from the dead. And because that's true, I know this. Why was his death different? I told you that in the beginning. His death is different from every other death. You can remember this. Every other person who dies, it doesn't matter how old they are, matter boy or girl, man or woman. It doesn't matter if they're buried in Arlington where you have to earn the grave. And it doesn't matter if they're buried somewhere where the graves are free. Every person who ever goes into a grave deserves it. Because Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. That means everybody gets paid. This is the one time everybody gets a check, everybody gets paid exactly what they deserve. The wages of sin is death. But because of this man, Jesus Christ, who was buried, when he went into that tomb, I can tell you the second part of that verse, the gift of God is eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. So the next time you see, or you go past the cemetery, you can look at every single stone there, and you can say it's true of every one of those persons, the wages of sin is death. It'll be true of me one day. But the reason that we tell you about this man and about being saved now, tonight, is because what he did makes it possible for you to have something you don't deserve. Everybody who dies deserves it.
But here's the one thing we don't deserve, the gift of God, eternal life. Why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Because Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen. All these things tonight that we've spoken of make it so certain that you can have confidence in this and you can be saved. Saved. You could have salvation, forgiveness of sins. But it would be a wonderful thing to have it tonight. For the first time tonight to describe yourself as a sinner who wants salvation now. We often say that. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the accepted time. That comes from Isaiah. Isaiah says that. And Isaiah tells us, and we read it tonight, the way in which he would be buried. It's a great proof. There's so many pictures about it. But the promise is so fantastic because it tells us exactly who we're looking for. And only the Lord Jesus tonight knows who he is looking for. For he has come to seek it to save those that are lost, those that are dead. Close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son and thankful for all that he has done. For the one who uh, was wounded for our transgressions, bruised again, bruised for our iniquities. Think of uh, the peace that we now have was the chastisement upon him. And we think of his stripes and the healing that we have. We think how each night for the past several nights we've been thinking just about him. Who else could we think about when we would want to know our sins forgiven? When we would want to have an assurance that no one else could give. No one could give it because no one else died for us. No one took our place. We pray, Lord, for our audience tonight. That each one uh, would be encouraged. And yet that many would also realize what they don't have. And that they would want this Savior, this salvation uh, that's offered to whosoever so we ask to bring us home safely. We ask all this in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll sing just in closing 93. Number 93, out of Christ, without a Savior. Oh, can it, can it be like a ship without a rudder on a wild and stormy sea? Oh, to be without a Savior, with no hope or refuge nigh. Can it be, oh, blessed Savior, one without thee dares to die. We'll sing uh, the first and one, we'll sing one, three, and four of uh, hymn number 93 and our meeting.